Twice a week, Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay dissect the biggest topics in Black culture, politics, and sports on their show, Higher Learning. They discuss the most important and timely conversations while also frequently inviting guests on the podcast and occasionally debating each other. Check out Higher Learning on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. David, as you know, I'm on the East Coast for one more week and I told you about I was have been reading the New York Post yeah had complicated feelings about the New York Post well I've got another publication I've been reading up here that I don't have complicated feelings about in fact I have nothing but warm feelings about it is the Lakeville Journal from up here in Northwest Connecticut oh wow okay weekly newspaper started in 1897 an issue cost you two bucks uh, there's a front page and then an entertainment section that's called Compass. Let me tell you something. Remember the old phrase, news you can use? Yes. When you're staying in Northwest Connecticut, the Lakeville Journal is truly news you can use. Because I, I sometimes I go to small towns, I'm like, I want to buy the newspaper. This would be so cool. And then you get this paper and it's full of wire copy and like one local story. And I'm immediately just, I read it in 10 seconds and throw it in the trash. It is funny how the, the weekly sort of service paper has been the paper that is impervious to the changes of, of the new news media. Exactly, right? Because for the dailies, all that stuff that they would have on the cover, you know, Biden does this, that's gotten picked off, taken away from them. But the weekly service paper is pretty much unbreakable. For instance, there have been a ton of moths up here in Northwest Connecticut. Moths? Moths, yes. Yeah. What cicadas are to Princeton, New Jersey, moths are to Northwest Connecticut. So okay. we get the Lakeville Journal, and sure enough, there's a huge article about these moths and how you're supposed to get them off your tree, what you can do about them, right there on the front page of the paper. Great. Unbelievable. A restaurant we wanted to go to, David, that had been closed for dine-in since COVID started, had reopened for dine-in. We found that news right there in the paper. Uh, story today or the most recent issue on rail service potentially uh, returning to this part of the uh, world. This, these, these, the weekly papers love the potential for rail service. The, yeah, the railroad is back. And by the way, included a quote uh, within it from Simon Winchester, the best-selling author who apparently what? lives in this part of the world and was making the case for rail service. Surely Simon Winchester has written like three books about 
railroads from the 1800s that you and I have seen in the bookstore, but not exactly read. Anyway, Simon Winchester in the newspaper. Also, some parts of the local paper that I just absolutely love, the police blotter. Oh, yeah. There was one about a uh, Nissan, I believe it was, uh, going off the road and striking a rock because <laughs> you need to know what happened in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. The obligatory funny op-ed headline, which this one was, no matter where you are, it's too darned hot. That was the headline. Oh, it turned out to be a very nice piece by Matt Gordon about climate change. The funny thing about this, David, is that it's a thing on Twitter to say, support your local paper. Mm -hmm. Support your local paper. And, and when, I, when people say that, I want to say, which local paper are you talking about? Because yeah. some of them I look at, and it's just been absolutely taken apart by the forces of history. And the local paper stinks, or the local paper is owned by a company that stinks. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to do that because... That's bad, and and it's that the local paper of our youth is not coming back, no matter how many of us subscribe to it. But I will say, support the Lakeville Journal when in Northwest Connecticut, because it is truly, truly a fantastic local paper. See, now I feel terrible for not already not pitching a a, a bit on this myself. The, the the Princeton packet, and more importantly, the town topics, just continue to to shape our weeks over here why so. don't we do this you when you next time we'll, we'll do the uh we'll do the princeton local papers let's do it they went and i want them to write you up by the way uh local <laughs> local, local podcaster mentions us yeah local podcaster is making waves oh no no local podcaster is making air friend <laughs> waves coming up on today's show david and i have notes on the opening weekend of olympics watching plus slate's josh levine is here to talk about his new podcast one year. All that and more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. Erica Cervantes is on assignment. So we are produced today by Isaiah Blakely and Donnie Beecham Jr. I thought, David, before we bring Josh on, we do some Olympics watching notes. Let's do it. How much Olympics have you watched over? Not, not a ton. I watched the opening ceremony. We've been traveling a bunch. The wife has been watching it pretty religiously when I'm out of the room. But um, I think it's probably, I, as I walked in to record this, I saw synchronized diving going on. But uh, I have not personally watched a ton beyond the opening ceremonies. It's like a movie that's a little too violent for your kids. You know, you hit the pause as soon as they walk in the room. <laughs> it's like the, it's like when people talk about the, the people who can't watch horror movies, so they just read the Wikipedia pages. That's this big this big phenomenon right now. I just don't watch the Olympics. I just read the, you know, I, the, the, you know, the, the, the news and, and pretend <laughs> I watch it. Or listen to the segment uh, as it turned out. Let me tell you one thing about the Olympics. I feel we're in a time, especially as it pertains to network television, where all the stuff we've been watching since we were kids is having an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. The Oscars every year has an identity crisis. Do people sure. care about us? What are we doing? What are, what are we here? Who's going to host? The Olympics to me seems absolutely the same broadcast in almost every way as it was when you and I were watching in 1988 or 1992. Uh, yeah, I think I totally agree with this and was it was trying to formulate an opinion. This you, you found it for me. Okay, keep going. There's Peacock, right? The streaming service, which has taken some of the sports have been shuffled over there. There's premium. There's new camera technology. There's Mike Tirico this year instead of Bob Costas. 
but the sound of it, the look of it, the theme song of it, the way the announcers talk about the Olympics to me feels, and I say this happily, like what you and I watched from Calgary and Barcelona and Atlanta and Athens and everything else. You mentioned Mike Tirico. You didn't mention Maria Taylor, who somehow went from is she going to resign with ESPN to hosting the Olympics in like the <laughs> blink of an eye and somehow hasn't missed a beat. Like, I don't under. I was watching her and I was like, whoever this is looks and reminds me a lot of Maria Taylor because it, I knew that she, that I had read articles about her, about her signing with NBC for the Olympics. And yet it, there was such a cognitive dissonance with her being on screen and that like prepared so quickly that I couldn't, I couldn't, it, it didn't make sense, but maybe that kind of goes to what you're talking about. Like the Olympics exist just sort of in the collective consciousness. Like it's, it's in the ether to the extent that it just makes it perfect sense for Maria Taylor to just roll in and be and sort of like like inherit the 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 breath and soul of everyone who's ever hosted the Olympics before. It's crazy. It's a language. It is. And she's probably knows the language better than even we do because you're watching on television. I know how to host the Olympics. I know what announcers are supposed to say. I was watching the opening ceremonies on Friday. Mike Tirico and Savannah Guthrie from the Today Show are doing the opening ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have the Parade of Nations come in and you have to give like three facts about every nation. Of course, of course. The yeah. geopolitical facts and then also like who are their athletes, what sports are they competing in, when is the last time they won a medal. There's a lot of box checking going on. Not only was that happening, but Mike Tirico was doing the thing where it's like, being self-conscious about doing that yes you know like what are we in carmen san diego here you know what are we i bet you what how do you have all these facts about all these countries that's exactly what bob costas and katie couric used to do when they did it not not only doing the thing but being sort of meta about doing the thing at the mm -hmm. opening ceremonies it was like slipping into a warm bath you know it was it was like watching a new hope with my son. It was like, I know this. I I don't know the, you know, the fact that they're going to give me about, I don't know, Belgium, but I understand the way they're going to talk about Belgium. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Yeah. It's you're right. That's a, the, the self-consciousness is pretty incredible. Um, like, I don't know how I got here, but again, maybe that's part of the thing. I don't know how we got here and how we started doing this. So I'm just constantly impressed with the, not just the spectacle of it, but the spectacle of what we are doing right now. Like this, it's just all like, it, like you said, seems a spring from some eternal well. So the sort of nonstop amazement, even at what oneself is doing, uh, is sort of perfect. Sue Bird, the basketball star was one of the flag bearers for the U S when the U S team came into the stadium. Big Twitter moment when they showed Sue Bird's mom watching from home and her mom's boyfriend who had the Chiron identification at the bottom of the screen was named Harry Dank. That was kind of a, an amazing moment for Twitter. They also had a lot of pop-ins. Like it was like people who were on there. First of all, we could talk to Sue Bird from while she was walking around the stadium. Yes, she was talking yes. to the announcers. Also, people who were like going to other sporting events could kind of pop in. That was, I thought, really cool. We also got something amazing, David, which was I'm talking a lot about uh, Peyton Manning on here. Michael Phelps as a color commentator at the Olympics. 
Michael Phelps, who won approximately 1 billion medals in swimming, he comes out, he has big styled hair. He has a beard uh, on Saturday night. He had one of those shirts, you know, when you go to REI and you see all the camping gear and then you see like, hey, it's REI, but we have shirts you can just wear around on a daily basis. He had one of those kind of shirts, kind of a button down. Uh, I put a picture in here. He's standing next to Rowdy Gaines, who is wearing the NBC polo. Uh, that made for kind of an amazing picture. And he was pretty good. He was funny because, you know, he's kind of a mentor to the U.S. swim team. Mm -hmm. So when he was doing like, hey, you know, I, so I talked to so-and-so yesterday. It wasn't just like the Phil Sims, you know, hey, I talked to so-and-so yesterday because we had the obligatory meeting. Yeah. It was like, I talked to him because I'm his friend <laughs> and hero. Yes. And we talked about how he's going to swim this race. That was kind of awesome. Yeah, and it does. They had a they had a conversation uh, with um, on the during the opening ceremonies with Megan Rapinoe, who was both giving a readout of the last uh, U.S. Women's National Team game, but also talking about Sue Bird and how she found out that that she would be marching in the or oh, carrying yeah. the flag, which is uh, maybe Michael Phelps is probably is a better example. But there would be a moment where you'd be like. Maybe this should be couched a little bit differently. I mean, and maybe in another world, you'd be like, I'm not quite sure what the journalistic ethics are of what we're doing right now. But the Olympics, it doesn't matter, right? This is it's no. just it is a is it like like we've said thing of wonder. And it just feels it does it for some reason, the level of access that we that they're getting, even just on like Zoom calls and iPhones or whatever else just seems so cool and so novel that it's I don't know, it's 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 been a, it's been really fun to watch. It reminded me a little of when Bobby Heenan, Bobby the Brain Heenan, was the color commentator in the wrestling match and was also the manager or advisor to the wrestler who was in the ring. Mm -hmm. You didn't expect him to be you called down the middle, right? You expected him to be uh, Bobby the Brain. That's what we're doing here at the Olympics. <laughs> exactly. Glad you brought up journalistic ethics because we did have a pretty wild story in that department. Karen Krause is a longtime New York Times sports writer. Uh, I'm going to quote from Eric Wimple's piece over the Washington Post here. In mid-June, Karen Krause's byline appeared on a story about how Phelps, that is Michael Phelps, winner of 23 Olympic gold medals, relates to his successors in the U.S. swimming program. Though he retired from the sports sport five years ago, he, quote, exchanged isolation for outreach, sprinkling instruction and advice like the Pope blessing his flock with holy water. As a mentor, he has found a way to pull this U.S. team along in his wake without getting wet. Okay. Then came the editor's note to that Karen Krause piece about Michael Phelps in the New York Times. Quote, after this article was published, editors learned that the reporter had entered an agreement to co-write a book with Michael Phelps. If oh editors gosh. had been aware of the conflict, the reporter would not have been given the assignment. <laughs> so she publishes a story about Michael Phelps. And then at some later date informs her editors that, oh, yeah, I am writing a book with Michael Phelps. I have wow. entered into a financial deal with Michael Phelps. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with this. I don't either. Daily Beast says editors were, quote unquote, livid. Yeah. I mean, as bad an idea as this is anywhere how bad an idea is this at the New York Times putting those editors and those people with those journalistic values in that position? Yeah. I mean, the interesting part here 
you and I have talked about this a little bit on various forms. I am just, I am flabbergasted when people agree to write a book of someone who is active on their beat. Yeah. Who, and again, I'm not talking about a book about that person, but I'm talking about you are signing a book contract saying you get paid and I get paid and together we produce your memoirs. Mm -hmm. I find, I find that incredible and it still happens a lot in sports. It's interesting with Phelps because he is retired. So I guess the question is, could you write the Michael Phelps story if you're the New York Times reporter? And you obviously cannot write this piece. You especially can't write this one, this piece about him. Could you write the Michael Phelps story given that he's kind of done even as you cover swimming and cover swimmers that he is the mentor to? Like, is there enough of a line between those two things to do them? Uh, um, well, I don't know. It's tough because, you know, there's not like, I don't know. It, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to like theorize the parallel. It seems like the answer is no, right? I mean, you, but at the same time, it's like, do you not co-write, you know, a former NBA coach's memoir if he's retired because he might be coming back at some point in the future, you know, do you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's a, it's tough. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, I think that's a good example. So, okay. So you're an in, or let's, let's even say NBA player, because this is Michael Phelps we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like if you're an NBA writer, you're obviously not going to write the memoirs of, of, you know, who, who, who can we pick any LeBron right now? You're not going to mm -hmm. be, you're probably not going to want to ghost write LeBron's memoir, but could you write the memoirs of somebody who's been of Scottie Pippen? Mm -hmm. um, he's even maybe a bad example because he feels a little remote, right? Could you write like the memoirs of Jerry West? Who's kind of still around as an advisor and working in yeah. the NBA. If Jerry West was a GM, I think the answer would obviously be no. But if Jerry West was kind of tangentially still around, I mean, it's the, the answer. I think I think your answer is right. The answer is probably no in all these cases. Um, and it's especially no at the New York Times. Mm -hmm. I cannot emphasize that enough. All right, David, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter Made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. Uh, in other Olympics news, Team USA basketball lost to France. To France. It ended a win streak, uh, which dated all the way back to 2004. That is now over. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write Kevin Durant has decided to join France to win a gold medal in Tokyo. <laughs> God, that's terrible. By the way, we did that when USA team lost those preliminary uh, games to just FYI. Thanks to Dukas the Lucas for that. Uh, Cleveland's baseball team, David, has a new nickname finally. Oh, I saw this. They will be the Cleveland Guardians. Mm -hmm. Cleveland Guardians. A lot of Marvel expanded universe jokes about that one, including yeah. it was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Does this mean we get to Groot, Groot, Groot for the home team? <laughs> thanks to paul middlecoff and finally david i regret to report that marjorie taylor green the republican representative from georgia is at it again asked if she had received the covid vaccine 
Marjorie Taylor Greene said this. Aaron Navarro, CBS News. Uh, Whip Scalise said today he got vaccinated, citing this Delta variant that's going around and said he's confident that it's safe and effective. Two questions. Have you yourself gotten vaccinated and do you disagree with the Republican whip? Well, your, your first question is a violation of my HIPAA rights. You see, with HIPAA rights, uh, we don't have to reveal our medical records and that also involves our vaccine records. So it is not, in fact, a HIPAA violation to ask a U.S. representative if they've had the COVID vaccine. But David, would you like to hear some other proposed HIPAA violations that Twitter <laughs> came up with this week? Yes, please. Uh, calling me about my car's extended warranty is a HIPAA violation. <laughs> Asking, what are we, is a HIPAA violation. Asking me about the meaning of my tattoos is a HIPAA violation. <laughs> Spelling it H-I-P-P-A, not H-I-P-A-A, is a HIPAA violation. Asking me to select the squares with traffic lights in them is a HIPAA violation. <laughs> <laughs> and tweeting so about HIPAA violations is a HIPAA violation. Thanks to Cade Stone, Sugar Lemon, and ASG. If you think not listening to the press box is a HIPAA violation, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. All right, Josh Levine is here. Don't call him Levin. Because that means you don't know him. He is the author of the award-winning book, The Queen, longtime writer and editor at Slate.com. How many years now, Josh, at Slate.com? Um, coming up on 18, Jeez. Mr. Curtis. 
my mentor, Brian Curtis, has long since moved on to (laughs) many, many different publications, but I'm still in the same place. It wasn't totally voluntary. How many uh, issues of how many issues of the print edition of Slate do you have filed away in a drawer somewhere? That's a question for both of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was actually more in Brian's day than my day. I'm <laughs> okay. I'm I'm a young man by comparison. I'm not that old either. I'd like to say. Uh, <laughs> Josh Levine is the creator of an excellent new podcast, One Year, which he is here to talk about today. Josh Levine, welcome to the press box. It's an honor and a privilege, sir. Thank you. So when last we heard from you in long form audio uh, style, (laughs) you were doing a really awesome slow burn series about David Duke. Mm -hmm. You're hunting around for your next idea. And how do you come up with one year? So coming off of um, the David Duke series, I had been living in that story for um, a very long time, which is kind of an unpleasant place to be. Um, being inside David Duke's brain for any amount of time, much less um, many months. And so I was interested in doing a historical narrative series, but one that wasn't entirely focused on one person or one story, which can be extremely rewarding. Like I was ex- I was grateful that I had the opportunity to tell that story at the kind of length and with the amount of reporting and interviews that felt like it was necessary to do that. But also, I wanted to tell a bunch of different kinds of stories. And with the one-year format, um, you know, the way that history works, um, it's not like one thing happens and the entire world stops. Um, Like, different people and events and culture and politics just sort of bounce off each other in really interesting ways. And so um, it just felt more true to the world we live in to look at those kind of connections and synchronicities and try to do something that I hadn't really done before, which is that kind of like long form narrative reporting on a bunch of different things, uh, you know, happening simultaneously. It's a lot more work. I mean, it's, it must be right. I mean, cause you like should have all, told it, me before I started, David, <laughs> unfortunately I've, I've discovered that. Yes. Well, you, yeah. I mean, you, every, every episode could eat, I mean, could conceivably be four episodes, right? I mean, with the, I mean, without much difference in terms of the research side, I mean, but it's, but it's, it, has it been, has it been more rewarding because of that? You think? Yeah. I mean, I hope when people listen, they're like, this could be four episodes, not this feels like four episodes. <laughs> um, but the, thing that I that I think you realize um, or that I realized sort of in retrospect doing this series is that for something like a slow burn, like the David Duke series that I did, you interview, um, you know, a, a journalist or you interview a, a politician and you can use snippets from those interviews um, throughout the series. Whereas the research for one episode of this, like if... <laughs> I can't use the research for the Mary Shane episode, which I think we'll talk about in the episode about marijuana or the episode about Anita Bryant. It just like lives in that in that one place. And so, yeah, there's no kind of um, efficiencies to be had here. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how, how you guys work, but sometimes if you're kind of a, a, a work obsessive, you sort of can take a break by working on a separate project as opposed to the one you're working on. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to tell myself. Yeah. Uh, that next piece that I'm supposed to be doing suddenly <laughs> looks really interesting as opposed to this thing I have to finish that's right in front of me. Yeah, I know, I know that feeling. 
Uh, David and I joke on this podcast all the time about how a lot of long form podcasting at its core is here's a thing that happened that you didn't know about. And then the person goes off from there. So the question is, how do you find those kinds of things within one year like 1977? Well, 77, I think, is a really good sweet spot for this because I'm just interested in the 70s in general as a period that feels kind of relatively underexplored compared to the 60s and the 80s. Um, but it's also a moment when you have both things that, that no one remembers and you have things that people think they remember but actually don't. There's not really anything that happened that year that's in, that's like baseline level of interesting that um, it it feels like if you did like a long kind of exploration, excavating a bunch of stuff, people would be like, I knew all of that already. Or like, yeah, it's like, tell me something I, um, you know, I haven't heard a million times before. So it's kind of finding the story mix. It's looking for things that will grab people immediately. Like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I'm interested in that. And things um, like, I mean, for me, even though like as a sports person, the Mary Shane story about the first woman uh, baseball announcer had like a legitimate shot at, at that job. Like I had never heard of her. I don't think the vast, vast majority of people listening to this will have heard of her. And so I'm, I'm not doing much to kind of um, disabuse you of your uh, stereotype about what long form podcasting is, but I feel like um, this format is kind of suited to it or, or makes it feel um, maybe slightly more original. I don't know. Maybe it's not original, but hopefully it's good anyway. It is. It's really good. I, I was saying before I got on the Thank air, you. this is, this is it, it was a, it was, uh, I, I was sort of overwhelmed by how much I enjoyed it. Um, maybe this is a little bit too inside baseball, but was this podcast hard to pitch? Because in some ways it's obvious for the format, right? It's like a weekly radio show, but in, in some ways it's, it is unusual. You know, I mean, it, it seems like everything is six episodes now or eight episodes or, or, you know, it's, it's um, it's all these different things that are happening at one time, and and you know the the elevator pitch I guess is easy on the one hand and a little bit expansive on the other hand. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually curious to see how people respond to it because on the one hand, there's so many different entry points for people that might want to skip a series on David Duke. There's going to be something that's that I think everyone will be interested in, and yet if you get hooked on an individual story, maybe there's not something to keep you there. I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to, to find that out, but for me, um, and I, and I hope for listeners, the thing that I find really interesting about this conceit is that it's one that has like a pretty strict constraint, but that constraint actually doesn't prevent you from doing anything. Like you can still tell every kind of story you can find any kind of story in any year. Honestly, like I think 1977 is a good year for a bunch of different reasons. Like it's this weird kind of interstitial like period between Nixon and Reagan. Like a bunch of stuff was changing, but that there was a lot of people fighting against that change. So I think it's an interesting moment to look at. But honestly, like, you know, hopefully, you know, in, in future seasons, like any year is interesting if you look at it um, really closely. And so there were other, back to your original question, David, like there were other things that I was thinking about pitching, um, 
that are similarly like historical narrative, but they had more like kind of um, the the constraints in in those um, those pitches were like they did actually limit the kinds of stories you could tell. And I was finding that I would like come across interesting ideas and be like, oh, that doesn't fit in the conceit because of like, it's not exactly this kind of thing. And there's just not really anything you can come across um, if you're doing like a one year kind of concept that you couldn't do. Like as long as um, it even like plausibly fits into a year, into the year, um, then you can just, you know, go ahead and, and report it out and do it. You mentioned Mary Shane, Josh. She gets hired by the Chicago White Sox as a baseball announcer, as a play-by-play announcer, 1977. What attracted you to the Mary Shane story? First of all, that I didn't know it. Um, she's the kind of person that comes up in these like um, calendars that you guys probably had that I had when I was a kid of like amazing sports feats 365 days in the year. She's like a, tr- a trivia question and a trivia answer and as it's the stories of pioneers are always incredibly interesting and some pioneers just get you know like everybody knows the Jackie Robinson story right but there's like the Larry Doby story and there there's like a million different um stories all of which have similarities but all of which are are also different and so She's someone who has her own kind of unique path into sports, into baseball, and into announcing. But also, this is a moment where like women all over America are getting opportunities in white-collar professions. Like this is the year when it seems like the Equal Rights Amendment is going to get passed. And so uh, another like kind of major thing I was hoping to accomplish with the series is like, tell you about the big things that were happening in that year, but not tell you the story of like the national women's conference in Houston, in Houston, or not tell you the story about the equal rights amendment, tell you the story about Mary Shane, which gets at those stories, um, in maybe like a sideways and unexpected way. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but there's a kind of a, you know, a lot of the, the tension when you're telling stories that you know, no one's heard before is why haven't I heard this before? And there's some like the Mary Shane thing, or why am I not more aware of blah, blah, you know, whatever happened to, um, are you searching? Are you saying, out- are you saying that I'm making people feel stupid? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he is absolutely. No. I got to, st- I have to yeah, stop. Absolutely. I have to stop listening because I've not heard of this before. And I just can't, I can't deal with that. No, I mean, listen, I, I was listening to the Mary Shane story on the edge of my seat. But the question in the back of my mind was like, why am I not more familiar with Mary Shane? And of course, like the, you know, the last sort of act of the, of the story explains that. I mean, to give, and, and I, um, I guess, do you look for stories that have that sort of narrative bent or do, or is it, or is it more about just sort of totemizing the year? I mean, like you said, getting into the bigger ideas through these smaller pieces. There is this like cultural forgetting thing that happens in all kind of realms of anything. And one thing that I found when doing research on Mary Shane is that people would say she was the first woman to ever call a baseball game, which wasn't true. There were actually a couple of women who had um, kind of smaller scale opportunities. But then afterwards, people would say that the next person was the first woman to ever call a baseball game and just forgetting about Mary Shane um, because she was only there for a certain 
period of time and didn't turn out to be celebrated by that team or by Major League Baseball. But like when I was doing my um, book on Linda Taylor, the like, you know, start of the welfare queen archetype, she got totally forgotten. Like with Mm -hmm. the next wave of people who were given that label, they were considered the first or the biggest. And so that's just an interesting thing that I found in doing these kinds of stories is how people just get overwritten in the kind of like quest to like celebrate or demonize in some cases the next person and um, finding those people that have been overwritten or who were at one point celebrated and figuring out why they're not remembered has been like a pretty fruitful area to focus on. All right. So you've decided you're going to do a pod episode on Mary Shane. What are the raw ingredients, audio and otherwise, you need to do that episode? Well, you need audio of her calling a baseball game, um, which we found um, just one game actually from July of 1977, which is the high point. The White Sox have this really kind of surprise. They're really bad in this period, but they have a surprisingly good season um, that year. And this game was like the high point of their season and was the kind of high point of Mary Shane's announcing career. So that if we hadn't been able to find that, you can't do the story. You can't just say like, you know, the Chicago Sun-Times said she sounded like this, but we don't have a clip of that. Um, So um, you also have to find people that, you know, worked with her. Um, We had to get participation of her family because there's this thing that, um, (laughs) that, that happens, I think, particularly with um, people, you know, not to like generalize overly broadly, but when you have, um, for instance, a woman who gets in a high profile job like this and is a, is a pioneer, she's going to quote unquote, say all the right things to the press. She's going to say, Oh, what a great opportunity. Everybody's been so great to me. Um, you know, everyone's so nice, but you need to find people who she was talking to, um, when there wasn't a microphone in front of her face, the people who she was saying how she really felt and really thought. And so you need a, a set of those people. And then her son, um, who you know participated and was great through this whole process, mm-hmm. had her unpublished memoir, mm. which um, now you're like in the realm of, okay, it's not just like people remembering a few conversations they had with her. This is her actually writing down in the moment how she felt and what people said and what people did. And so for me, that was just, okay, we're not like maybe going to do this. We're definitely going to do this story. And it's just like a rare and valuable document of somebody, um, you know, living through this experience. And and David, kind of back to your um, previous question, you know, when her son sent me this document, the first few pages uh, of it are rejection letters from a publisher and from an agent who said that this is not, this is in the early eighties by this point, this is not commercially viable. Like this is like a story of, of very minor and local interest. And so, um, you know, it's possible that Brian would be finding this book at a used bookstore somewhere if, if it had been published and it would be remembered as a lost classic or either be, or, or maybe it would not be a lost classic. Maybe it'd just be a classic or maybe it would at least be findable, but she was told like, nobody cares about your literally nobody cares about your story. This is not interesting. Uh, again, maybe at the risk of being too inside baseball, how do you as a writer, you've written a billion articles, you've written an incredible book. Uh, how do you, how do you see this sort of podcasting fitting into like your 
body of work? Like, is it is this is this long form writing just it's just spoken out loud to you, or is it is it a is it its own thing? Um, well, thank you, David. Um, and I think as a writer, I approach it as long form writing, um, often to my detriment, I would say. And I I think as I do this more, you sort of learn a little bit to think in audio, but like with the slow burn series, Mm -hmm. which I kind of came out of those podcasts, I I think are and feel more written than a lot of other ones, um, you know, in that category, which I think is, is a good thing, but you know, people that come out of audio, they'll look at the tape that they have. They'll look at the interview tape or the archive tape and they'll like, they'll, they'll maybe put that into a document and like script around it. Whereas for all that I've done this and all I've kind of tried to get into my brain that the tape is the most important thing, you know, I'll often just be writing and then be like, all right, now time to go find some tape. All right, let's put that tape in. Now get now time to get back to writing. So I I really do think, and you guys can tell me um if if you agree that the tape is the stuff that people remember, really. Just if you have like a strong interview or like a really emotional interview or you have an amazing piece of archive, that is probably the thing that sticks in people's heads. And so got to try to remember that um, and, and write to that to the extent that I can for like retrain my, my brain to... <laughs> To, to have that in mind as I'm like sitting in front of my blank page. I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I think it's in a way it's a lot like a, like a magazine article or a book it's new material, right? So that new interview that you're doing with somebody who was around then or knows, you know, the time of talking about that really pops. It's the archival audio, which is obviously has its own, you know, version in a, in a, in a written article. And then it's the ability of a storyteller to actually just clearly tell me what the stakes are. Yeah. I mean, I mean part of when we go, when we're all three of us are here talking about the fact that Mary Shane has forgotten, there's a certain narrative tension to this story because we don't know how this is going to turn out. Right. We don't, we don't understand it. So you're, you know, I think it's setting the stakes at the top of the podcast. And then we kind of slip into the story. One thing I want to ask you about Josh is so interesting to me is You've written stuff and you've had that attaboy, Josh, I've done it. I have finished this piece of writing. Now you've done long form podcasts. Is there a different pleasure at the end of one than there is at the other? The pleasure in podcasting for me is that it's a team sport. Um, oh my and... God. Do we have an athlete on the podcast? I, I, I'm sorry. I said, what, I want to owe this to all my teammates. This is, this is fantastic. Please continue. <laughs> So thank you for putting me in my place. I deserve, I deserve that. <laughs> but, um, you know, because people on the, the listen to this are going to be aware of sports. Some people know that there are team, there, there are individual sports and there are team sports. I'm just trying to make a reference to try to okay, you know, familiarize the unfamiliar. But um, there are so many things that go into making this thing that I have no ability to do. And it's just so collab- collaborative. I mean, when I, you know, go away and, and write a piece, it's incredibly isolating. And there are these moments when doing this as well. But 
um, I do kind of enjoy the collaboration. It makes me feel less alone in, in doing this this thing. Not to uh, you know make this about about me and my sad personality, but um, you know it, it's it's something that it it feels rewarding to have done um, as a project. Um, and it, it just, it feels more rewarding. I feel like, because there's a certain kind of magic to it. Like I understand, I understand why a piece works or doesn't work. And in this case, just feeling, <laughs> feeling like there's something out there that's like tr transcended my abilities. Um, it's pretty cool. Brian. I try to make fun of that. <laughs> no, but it's an out. I get what you mean. It's like the, the producers are putting in this, you know, or helping you arrange it. They're putting in the audio, arranging the audio in such a way that it's different from you sitting down and writing a script. You're like, oh my gosh, this product is, is much bigger and richer than what I have sat down on my computer to type out. Yeah. But I, I also feel like I don't understand the way that structure works for instance in audio as deeply as i maybe understand it in print mm -hmm. at this point and like i don't come from an audio background and so you know in some cases doing things the way that they're traditionally done is like not a recipe for success but um it just feels like when things click into place it just feels more surprising to me and and feels um really good and and satisfying because the answers um, don't necessarily feel obvious. I said earlier that, that you were kind of doing well, a dream podcast of mine. And and uh, part of that is because I find if there's one thing that I, if I had to isolate one rabbit hole that I find myself going down or one just needless internet activity, is I just go to like the New York Times archive and just plug random keywords in together and see what I can find. You know, I'm just looking, you know, searching for like, cowboy and murder and the you know whatever <laughs> what is it what <laughs> i'm not going to read anything onto you into, into your process but what is it i mean how how are you how are you looking how are you searching for the sort of you know the stories that you cover is it is it are you are you do you do any like just random searches i can't wait for cowboy murder coming to uh cowboy murder is going <laughs> to be huge spotify, on the spotify original yeah <laughs> You could you could have it be Dallas Cowboys. It could be any kind of cowboy, honestly. It really that's that's the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we found stories in a bunch of different ways. Um, you know, I love newspapers.com. Uh, I'm a I'm a newspapers.com guy. Um, I would I would enjoy being a paid endorser for newspapers.com. The interface is great. You can search by keyword. You can search by state. You can search by time. It works. It just works perfectly well. So that is a fun um, place to kind of root around and has the kind of like serendipity factor of microfilm without actually having to go and work with microfilm. No offense to microfilm. Um, t old, looking through old um, TV news um, episodes by date is um, a useful thing. Um, looking on the inside of major newspapers, like um, inside the A section of the New York Times is often a good place to find things that made the national news but aren't um, overly kind of done or 
well remembered and looking, you know, looking in JSTOR and searching for in 1977, um, because, you know, a lot of times it can actually be hard to find um, things that happened in 1977 by looking in 1977. Often you don't know about them until a year or two later when, you know, they make it to the courts or, um, you know, there, there's something that um, instigates coverage. And so finding, figuring out a way to um, track down things that are covered in retrospect once they've actually gotten big enough. And if they're in, you know, a journal of cultural history or a journal of whatever history, then you've already, you know, you you found something that's like someone has noticed and then you like have found an expert who can talk to you about it. Um, so that's a, a good two for one situation. One year is out now. It is absolutely fabulous. Uh, got episodes on Mary Shane, on Anita Bryant, one on the miniseries Roots uh, is coming, which I am excited about. Do you want to stick around, Josh, and help David guess the strained pun headline? There's nothing that I would rather do. Brian. All right. Thank you guys for, so much. Good. Time for David Shoemaker and Josh Levine. Guess the strained pun headline. Friday's headline about Giannis Attentacumpo getting lots of fresh media attention was a deer in headlines. Today's headline comes from Luke B. It's from the Chicago Sun-Times and appropriately enough about the White Sox. You might have seen that White Sox rookie catcher Yermin Mercedes was demoted to AAA at the beginning of July. He responded by writing an Instagram post saying he was, quote, stepping aside from baseball indefinitely. And the picture on the post was the words, it's over. All right, so Yermin Mercedes has retired via social media. What was the Chicago Sun-Times' strain pun headline? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, immediately, I want to go to, like, like Mercedes-Benz puns, but I'm not. Mm, mm. Is that? Oh, Potentially well, I'm fruitful getting approving... direction there. <laughs> Mercedes. Uh, but, but how do you, but, but goodbye and social media all have to cram, and White Sox all have to cram into a bit, something that says oh. Benz? Like yeah, a Benz? It's the Chicago Sun-Times. They didn't have to get everything. I'm thinking, Josh? Oh, oh, Lord, won't you goodbye me, your mean <laughs> Mercedes Benz. So that's, <laughs> let me just put that, that's better than what the actual pun headline was. Um, Merce, uh, Mercedes. We're pretty uh, simple here. We don't even need the social uh, media part. B- uh, Mercedes bids adieu. Mercedes bid. Uh, <laughs> Mercedes. Bit. My career is over. That's it. Finished. Retires. Mercedes. Mercedes. Retire. Um. Mercedes bids. Mercedes Done. bids adieu. Done. Over. It is not starting, but it is ends. Mercedes ends. Mercedes ends. Oh, Question mark. By the way, your mean Mercedes did not, in fact, retire. Thanks very much to Josh Levine. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Isaiah Blakely and Donnie Beecham Jr. On Friday, we've got Bob Costas on talking about his new HBO show, plus more lukewarm takes about the media. See you later, David. See you later, Brian. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.